there's something special about singing to the Lord corporately. I think there's something special about doing it privately. And I hope that during the week you spend time with God. And you should, I think the Bible makes it clear that you should come before his presence with singing. That's what the Bible says. And so I think that's a great way to do it. Sing, and you say, well, I can't sing very well. Have you listened to me? You hear that majesty? I, I heard my voice creak, just scratch just a little bit. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. If you can't sing real well, just make a noise to the Lord. He gets it, and that's, he made your voice, right? And so if you can't be on key, just blame him. I mean, um, no, we don't want to blame him for anything, but you get what I mean there. The Lord is so good to us. We're starting Romans chapter 9 tonight. And, uh, man, I feel like as we've gone through the book of Romans, as we've gone through the book of Mark, there's a resounding theme that the Lord's been beating into my head. And I'm going to share some things with you tonight as we dive into the message that I haven't even shared with my wife yet and some thoughts for this upcoming year as we get ready for 2022 because it's coming soon. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be planning out next year, and we're going to be we're going to be focusing on some things that we need to focus on this upcoming year. And I today marked I mentioned it this morning. Today marks 11 years since I started pastoring, which is a crazy thought. 11 years ago today, on Cheyenne Way and she- and uh, Monta Vista, we started Faith Baptist Church in a storefront there. Caroline was eight, eight months pregnant with, seven or eight months pregnant with William. It's amazing what's happened in 11 years in that amount of time. But the crazy thing was, over the past couple of days, I, it was great to take, I love taking some of our boys, the teenage boys, and take them to do something that matters in life. Sometimes, and we'll get to the message here in just a minute, I feel that sometimes, even in churches, we get so focused inwardly on everything around us, that's where a lot of our problems begin, because we're too inwardly focused. We must be inwardly focused to a certain degree, but we should be outwardly focused and getting the gospel to the lost around us. One of the things that helps people from gossiping and fighting in a church is not being so inwardly focused and being focused on outwardly things. And I'll talk more about that in the upcoming days as we get closer to the new year. We, so Anthony, Isaiah, and Andrew and myself, we drove six hours to help a church plant. You say six hours, that's a long ways, it was a long ways to drive. But I think it was neat for those young people, we passed out over 3,000 invites in about seven hours time. One person came to their church meeting they had last night because of the flyers that we passed out. They got to hear from a young man God's call on his life and how God called him to ministry. And we need our young people, we need young people who get called to ministry because if we don't, where, where's the future going to be? God calls people to ministry and, I, and we need to, and this is the thing, God's not going to call every kid to ministry, okay? He doesn't. But we want our kids sensitive to God's call so if God does call them to that, that they'll listen. But if God calls them to be a great trash truck driver and teach a Sunday school class, they need to follow God's leading there and be a great trash truck driver and teach a Sunday school class. And so whatever the case may be, we just want our young people to be sensitive to the will of God and what God has for them. And, and so I think sometimes we, get, we have activities a lot. Like for our teens, we have activities often. 
But I think a trip like this where the focus was we are telling people about a new church and telling them about what Jesus is going to do in this area. The Bay Area is an awful area, I think, spiritually speaking. You look around. We went around the, the bridge a little bit, did a few things. It's beautiful around certain parts up there. But the, spiritually speaking, it's awful. It's not good here, okay? Let's be honest tonight. But it's a little worse there than here. And, you know, the more you go towards L.A. and Hollywood, it's almost similar back and forth there. But people up there, he gave a statistic, Caleb Finley, the guy who's going to be pastoring there, he went to another pastor in town. The pastor himself said 90 to 95% of people in their city do not go to church at all. And a lot of that changed with COVID. That's 95%. Now, could that statistic be off? Sure it could be. But we need churches, Bible-preaching churches, that give the gospel. And so I think it was a great thing to be able to take them and have them be a part of something like that. But what it also did inside of me, it reminded me of 11 years ago and all the people who helped me knock doors and helped us get going. And then the Lord gave me a convicting thought. You do it all these door hangers and things the past couple days. When's the last time you did that many door hangers in Chino? It's been a little bit. So the Lord and I had a talk. I did more listening than talking. That's normally how it goes. When the Lord works on your heart. And then when he also, the message that we've been giving on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, they go together very well the need of getting the gospel out and the burden for lost people. And so I feel like in the past, before COVID and things, we had our weekly soul winning, a weekly time, whatever the case may be, and very few people went. We did monthly ones, and it was still hit and miss. So something that we're going to do leading up into the new year and going forward for a while not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday at 545, if anyone's interested, I'm going to take 30 minutes on, a, on Wednesday nights and teach you how to witness. It's not going to be a long class. I'm going to teach you how to lead someone to Christ. That's all we're going to do during that time. And it will be for a few weeks leading into near Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'll have that done before the beginning of the year comes. So I'm going to say this publicly for myself. I'm not committing anyone else to doing it. But I felt that if I could spend eight hours this past week passing out invites and on the streets in Dublin, inviting people to church, that a minimum the rest of this year going till January, I'm going to spend five hours a week on our streets doing the same thing. Anybody wants to join me, you're more than welcome to join me. But that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes you need to, the leadership needs to step up and do what they're supposed to do, and then others will follow. And I do it at times already. Don't, I witness several times every single week, but there needs to be more of it. And so that's just something I'm going to do. But then next year, the theme of what we do next year, we are not going to be so worried about all of our little social gatherings that we like to have. We are going to be worried about getting the gospel to the lost. We will still meet and we'll do things, but like ladies, the ladies' meetings, the men's meetings, we might go back to one a year next year. Say why? Because you need to have a burden for the lost. You get church a few times a week. We have that and all those things. And I know people say, well, I, I need those times. 
you can go out and witness to somebody and take someone with you. You can have a good time with them. You can go get coffee. You can go do whatever, and you can witness, and we can get our focus on what really matters. That's important because that's what matters. Do souls matter? Do they matter? So if you say yes, think to yourself for a minute. When's the last time you told anybody? And see if your words match how you live. And I'm just saying think about it. Just think about it. And these verses tonight, they're pretty convicting as we get into it. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon tonight? Everyone good? All right, we're going to dive right into it. So we are going to have our theme next year is going to be way more outward and less inward. We still will take care of the inward things. We will still have our times that we need to have, but we are going to concentrate on getting the gospel to those around us this next year. That's what the theme is going to be. Because Jesus had a burden to reach people. Paul has a burden. We're going to read about Paul's burden right now. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who was over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Do you see what Paul says right here? Just, just for a second, just go back and look again. Let's make sure we don't miss this. Paul says that he's got heaviness and sorrow of heart. Why? The people of Israel. Now, his burden is so great. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed, that I would wish myself to not even have a relationship with God if it meant Israel turning to God. That's a burden. That's where Paul stood. And it might be why he was willing to give his life to get the gospel out. Jesus was burdened for the lost. You know how we know that? He gave his life. Are we burdened for lost people? Father, we need your help tonight. We look at this passage, and I pray that you'd help us consider this passage tonight. Help us to be mindful of what's here. Help it to burn within us. And just help God's people to respond to having a burden for lost people just like our Savior, just like you did, just like Paul does here. Help us to have some, like you had the compassion to go out and do something about it. Help us tonight, please. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are basically two commandments that all the commandments hang on. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the first and great commandment. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Our young people in chapel, the, the younger kids, they're loving chapel where I actually let them act out the parables. They love it. I, it's pretty fun to me. They actually, I don't know why they like it so much, but they like it. This last week was the Good Samaritan. And uh, this lawyer was trying to tempt Jesus, and he said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story about this man who was beaten by these thieves and left for dead. And a priest comes by, sees it, and passes over on the other side. A Levite, one who worked in the temple, comes by, sees the man, and walks the other way. A Samaritan who Jews didn't like to begin with sees this man. And the Samaritan stops, takes things and binds the wounds of this man, gets him on his horse, takes him to town and says to the innkeeper, here's some money to take care of this guy. And if there's anything else you need, when I come back, I'll pay it. And Jesus looked at the lawyer and he said, Who's being the good neighbor here? And it was the good Samaritan. Each and every day, we pass people who are dying in their sins. We like the priest that just walked the other way. Are we like the Levite that worked in the temple, knew the right thing to do, but was too busy? Or are we like the good Samaritan that goes out of the way to do what God's called him to do. Paul is burdened for the people of Israel. This passage of scripture, and as we go from chapter 9 through chapter number 11, it is some of the most misunderstood and ignored passages in the entire Bible. The thing is, people just don't understand it, which we are going to break it down to help you understand it over the next several weeks. And a lot of this has to do with Israel and what God is going to do with them later and where they're at. But Paul starts out tonight with his burden for the people of Israel. Many Bible scholars have a hard time with this passage because they feel there's, no, there's nothing that relates to the church at all in chapter 9 through chapter number 11. But like tonight we'll look and we'll see this relates greatly to the church and our attitude for the lost around us. Any Jew reading the book of Romans up to this point might get the idea that salvation by faith was for the Gentiles only. But that's not the case. Jesus came for the Jews. They rejected him. And you've got to understand something. There is a group of people who look today and call the church, the church has replaced Israel. This idea of replacement theology, Israel has not been replaced. They are still God's people. And God is not done with them. There's going to come, there's seven years left where God works through them. Time was stopped because they cut off the Messiah and the book of Daniel makes it very clear. So what happens is there's an uh, there's amount of time between the time they cut off the Messiah, 
until those seven years set off, and it begins when the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel. The seven years begins at that time. So with saying all of that, God's not through with Israel. He's going to work through them again. It's clear. But right now, because they rejected him, the Lord works through the Gentiles and through the church. That's why we're in the church age today. As we look at this passage tonight, in these opening verses, we see the heart that Paul has for the people here. In doing so, what Paul does for us, he helps us see the type of heart that we should have for lost people as well. We dive in tonight. We'll start with number one. We see a manifest obligation. And when we look here tonight, these first three verses really expose Paul's heart for those who are lost in Israel. For eight chapters, Paul has been revealing truth that's thrilling to anyone in all those chapters. What we looked at last week, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is wonderful stuff. That's thrilling to the heart. To think that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The fact that we are justified, the fact that we're sanctified, the fact of all those things, those are great thrilling things to our heart. But as we dive a little deeper here, and as we look at some things, we see that Paul's has a burden for these people. We see letter A, we see Paul's honesty. Paul's honesty. All lost people, especially the Jews, have looked with distrust and doubt at the message of the cross. Paul shares a lot of truth. Truth, if taken literally, proved that outside a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no hope of salvation. That's what Paul's message is. Don't you believe that tonight? Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. We talked about that a little bit this morning. And there are many in this world that try to find their way to God through other avenues. You cannot find your way to God through anyone but Jesus Christ. That is it. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no other way around it. And so... When you look at this and when you think about this, Paul and where he stood before he got saved, he was deep in Judaism, wasn't he? He was deep in it. And then he goes from Judaism and following the law to saying it's not about the law, it's about this guy named Jesus Christ. When Paul was throwing people in prison, for preaching in the name of Jesus. So as Paul begins here, and as we look here tonight, he wants them to know that he sincerely cares about these Jews. And that's why he calls, and as we look here, he says, I say the truth. You see, he says it in Christ. It's a key with Paul and in the message that Paul has about being in Christ, right? So Paul's saying, this is the truth. This is my honest feelings. This is how I feel here tonight. And it's vital for a believer to operate from an honest heart. Do you sincerely care about the lost? Your actions would show it, correct? My actions would show it. 
This world needs to know that God loves them. And this world needs to know that we're concerned about them. Isn't that what Jesus did? I think that's what Jesus did. I think that's very clear. And, you know, the Bible makes it clear, too, about a false love. And you don't want to have a false love. You say, well, we love everybody. Our church, we love people. We want to, then do we, get, do we get them the gospel? Because if we love people, we're going to point them to Jesus Christ. Don't tell someone you love them without that action behind it. Remember, I gave you the illustration of my mom in the past. I got in trouble as a boy. Mom, I love you. I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have done what you did. You can say you love me all you want, but your actions prove your love. So we say we love our community. What are we doing to show them that we love them? They say, well, they aren't going to understand. If I give them the gospel, they're not going to. That's how you show someone you love them, right? Friends don't let friends die and go to hell. Isn't that true? And as we look at this passage tonight, we think about Paul's honesty. Letter B. Let's keep on going here. Letter B, we see Paul's heaviness. Paul now tells his readers here that his life is filled with constant grief. The word here used refers to those who are overcome by mourning. Now, I have never been someday, and we've talked about it. We need to, we actually just need to start planning it, or it's never going to happen. We need to plan a church trip to Israel is what we need to do. And we, can, we need to start saving money now for the next couple years and be ready to do it as a church. So I will, we'll, we'll t by the beginning of the year, we'll set up a plan to start working on that. I'm going to work on that as well. Any of you who've ever, anybody been, to, I know the Harsteads have been to Israel. Has anyone else been over there? You've been, Julia, you've been lucky? Man. Did you go to the Wailing Wall? Did they wail loud? Was there a lot of noise made? Were they loud about it? Was it? Could you tell that they were mourning when they were up against the wall there at all? They didn't let you get too close. One of the things, and we don't get to, they didn't get too close and things, but do you remember when some of those people, Jesus, the one family, the, the girl died? And they hired mourners to be out there just to make noise and to let them know. There's something about Middle Eastern customs that has something to do with they're very vocal about their grief. You know their grief. To listen to them wail, it almost rips you apart to hear it. Have you ever been around someone where you hear them grieving and it rips you? I think the worst it's ever been for me was uh, Mrs. Treadwell when her husband passed away and her two children. She did totally fine till she came and stood over the casket. And that crying tore my heart up inside. It was, that's, and this is one of those things I will never forget. It made me, and you think about this, this is how Paul's heart is. He is grieving over Israel. And did you know tonight, as we look at this, and the Bible says here, he says in verse number two, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. It doesn't stop because he knows that they just don't get it. 
And if they don't get it, they're not going to go to heaven. And if they don't get it, it's going to ruin everything. And Paul's like, I am in constant grief, heaviness of heart for my people seeing what they're going through. And the fact that they're perishing. You know that's the type of burden we should have tonight? We are surrounded by millions of people that do not know Jesus Christ tonight. And if they don't get to know him, they will die and go to hell. I can't save one of them, but I can warn them. Paul's heaviness. Letter C, we see Paul's hunger. Paul's hunger. I already mentioned this, but look there in verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's such an astounding statement to me. He says that if it were possible, he would separate himself from Christ and be sentenced to hell if it would help save his people. That's what he says. Do you see anything different? Can you say it says something different? He literally says, I would be willing to be accursed, separated from God. And you're separated from God, there is no getting back to God, right? That's how great his burden was. Wow. That's an amazing statement. And may I just help you tonight? A lot of people can say a lot of amazing statements. But for God to let it be pinned in the scriptures... It's the truth. The scriptures do not lie. They tell the truth. And in fact, there are times where the scriptures tell the truth of what happened in the story, even when someone does lie, because the Bible tells the whole story, the truth of everything. This is Paul's feeling in his heart here. This is how he really feels. He knew that he was eternally secure in the Lord, but he was willing in his heart to go to hell so that others might be saved. Wow. Have you ever been in that place? Say, Lord, I'm willing to suffer so that someone will come to you. I'm willing to get cancer if it would bring someone closer to you. I'm willing to die if it would help. That's what Paul's saying. That is a burden that he had for these people. Heard the story a long time ago. I was reading of a woman who became burdened for her drunken, abusive husband. She loved God, but her husband would not listen to the gospel. He was a vile man and had no use for church or for God. And one time there was a revival in the church where his wife attended, and she invited the evangelist for dinner. And when she sat at the table for the meal... She only set two plates, one for her husband and the other for their visitor. She didn't set a plate for herself. When her husband brought this to her attention, she replied, I am too burdened to eat. How can I eat when I know that any breath might be your last and that if you die, you will go to hell, she said. I shall not eat any more food until the day you come to Christ as your Savior, but I shall pray for you in your soul. 
he responded by laughing at her and telling her that he would never be saved. It wasn't many days later that the husband became broken over his sin and came to Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. She was burdened for her husband. Who are you burdened for tonight? Who's that loved one? Who's that friend? Are you burdened? When's the last time you even brought their name before God? Remember we talked about just last week or two weeks ago, do you have a list of people's names you're bringing before God, begging God to work in their life and bring them to Him? Do you have a list? I think after that sermon, every Christian should have a list. Do you have anybody? You say, well, I just don't know anybody. Go out on the street somewhere, you can find somebody to add to that list. There's plenty of people you can add to that list. I have people on my list. I have officers in our city that I've done ride-alongs with that are on my list. A couple of them that have said they really want nothing to do with God, but they respect me, and I'm trying to work it in there and i they're on my list do you have anybody on your list when's the last time you prayed for them paul's hunger we see all that we see paul doing is having the same burden that jesus did that each of us should have so we see tonight we see number one a manifest obligation number two we see a missed opportunity a missed opportunity Look at verse 4 in the beginning of verse 5. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came. We think about this missed opportunity, letter A, we see that God, we see God's gifts to Israel. Israel had been made partakers of many gifts from God. They'd been given truth. They'd been given revelation. They had a special covenant relationship with God, and they were considered His people. All the Old Testament prophets, all the prophecies were given to them. All the promises concerning the coming Messiah and the coming kingdom were given to Israel. The people of Israel had been given more light than any other people on the face of the planet Yet, they became so bogged down with being tied to the letter of the law and the religious rituals of the day, they missed their Messiah when he came. They missed it. They missed opportunity, God's gifts to Israel, but let her be God's grace to Israel. When the Messiah did come, he was born from among them as one of their own. No other people have had such a privilege. God became man, and he was a Jew. Jesus wasn't an American. He wasn't Chinese. He wasn't Spanish. He's a Jew. And when we look at that, they refused. He came unto his own. His own received him not. To come to that place, they had to refuse every prophecy made about their Messiah. They had to disregard every miracle and every proof that Jesus was the Messiah. 
What could they say about the 5,000 being fed? What could they say about the 4,000 being fed? What could they say about Lazarus being raised from the dead? God showed them grace, but they missed their opportunity. Now, I've said this for many years. It's been a while since I've said, and I still believe it today. I'd rather go to hell anywhere on this planet other than going to a good, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and die and go to hell. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And you go to a good, Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church and you reject Christ, your hell is going to be worse than someone else's hell. That's Bible. That's why if you're here and you're in church and you hear the gospel over and over again and you've rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, shame on you. Before there's no more time, get right with him. Get to him. Get saved. Because your hell will be a little hotter. Because for hell you are judged by your works. And the Lord will say, I've given you so many offers. You sat right there, you heard the message, you rejected it. Here's your judgment. That's Bible, that's not Brian, that's Bible. What have you, do what have you done with the light you've been given? I sure hope you have trusted in it. We see a manifest obligation, we see a missed opportunity, and then we see a magnificent observation as we close out. Paul ends this section and talking about his burden for Israel with a doxology of sorts. He reminds his people, the end of verse number five, who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. As we look at this and as this section closes, he closes this section by reminding us who Jesus is. May we never forget the great God that we serve and love. What we see in Paul's observation here is we see letter A, we see concerning the person of Jesus. Paul calls him Christ. Remember what Peter said this morning? Thou art the Christ. Christ, what does the word Christ mean? Anybody remember? Anointed. He's our Messiah. He's the anointed one. And Paul is simply reminding us that the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the one the Father promised to send. He's the one who will take away the sins of the world. He's the one who is worthy of our faith, our love, and our worship. He's the Christ. He is the Lord. He is our Savior. And may we never forget that and what a privilege and honor it is for us to serve Him. We see concerning the person of Christ, but we also see letter B concerning the power of Jesus. You see, Paul says that he is over all. We must remember that Jesus is the agent of creation. He is the creator. He created everything. We must remember that the Bible makes it clear that he possesses all power in heaven and in earth. We need to remember that the Bible tells in the book of Revelation that has a name written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. We must remember that he's the one who holds all things together. That is Jesus Christ. And since he has that kind of awesome power, he can be trusted to be able to do everything that he's promised they said that he would do.
He is the great I am. And then we see, lastly, in this doxology, we see it concerning the position of Jesus. Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to remind us that Jesus is also God. You notice the, fra- the phrase there, Christ came who is overall God-blessed forever. Kind of a strange way to construct a doxology right here. Without exception, though, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word blessed often always comes before the name of God. There are, I could give you several instances. And if you want to write down these references and look, Genesis 14, 20, Genesis 24, 27, um, 1 Kings 1, 48, 8, 15. There's so many different ones. There are dozens of them. But what is my point? What are you trying to say? Paul is just very clearly trying to show his readers that Jesus is God. That's all he's trying to do. It's no accident. And as we look at this together, Paul is merely giving the saints of God a reason to rejoice. He's reminding us that Jesus is God, and since that is true, he is worthy of love, worship, and devotion that we can give him. Paul's theme in these five verses are the lost sheep of Israel. Paul doesn't want his people to go to hell. He wants to share with them the truth that his heart is broken for their condition and that he would do anything to see them saved by grace. How's your heart tonight? How's your burden tonight? Would you do anything to be able to reach your neighbors with the gospel? Would you be willing to do anything to reach your family with the gospel? Would you be willing to do anything for anyone to get the gospel to them? Say, no, those people were mean to me. There were a lot of people mean to Paul, but he loved them. And he was burdened for them as well. Oh, if we could just get a burden for the lost. If we could see into the portals of hell for two seconds, it would change your perspective on everything. Maybe you're here tonight. You're like, Pastor, honestly, I don't have a burden. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you for the foreseeable future every day to take five minutes and ask God to give you a burden. Just ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Maybe it would do you some good to study passages of Scripture on hell. Sometimes we like to talk about God and and how loving He is. You know, He talked a lot about hell, Jesus did. Get a glimpse of it. Maybe it would help you get a burden. Maybe there's several here tonight, and hopefully everybody say, Pastor, I have a burden. Then what are you doing with that burden? You say, Pastor, well, do you have a burden? I have a burden. Well, what are you going to do about your burden? I'm going to make it more known. So I'm going to take more time that I don't have to teach a class on how to go witness on Wednesday nights at 5.45. Say, 
is there other th- I I basically don't have enough time to do half the things I need to do in life right now. Then why take five hours to go on the streets every week? Because I need to. People that need Jesus. Let's get a burden together. And let's make a difference. One of the things that I like to do, and we're out of time, I know. We're right at, we got 35 seconds. And I just lost five seconds by saying that. No, it's down to 25. It's all done. One of the things I like to do, I like to always go back in my mind, especially I didn't even realize till last night that today was 11 years since I started the church. And then October 31st will be 11 years of pastoring here at Victory. And this year, those dates line up exactly on those dates. It's kind of neat again. Why did I start a church? Before I ever started a church, I wrote out why I was starting a church. Number one, God called me to do it. And I believe that if you're going to start a church or be a pastor, I do believe you should be called by God. I do believe in that. I'm a firm believer in that. I think there are many that try to do the job that aren't ever called by God. And that's and I'm grateful for those who step up. But I do believe it is a calling from God. And I'll leave it there and I won't go deeper into that. What were my goals? Not one of my goals was to have the biggest church in Chino. We're succeeding at that. We don't have the biggest church in Chino. I'm not trying to. My prayer was that every year in our church business meetings, whatever the case may be, there, there would be people saved, people baptized, and growing in the Lord every year. And that the burden I had for the lost around here would be passed down to those around me. And I think over the past several months, Brian is sometimes a hard case. I don't know why I'm a hard case, but sometimes I'm a hard case. It takes me a little bit of time. I'm, I'm a little slow learning uh, things sometimes, and it takes me a little bit more time. Maybe it's the stubbornness in me. I do not know. But I believe in our church, if we're going to do what God's called us to do and do things right, we got to have a greater burden for those outside of these doors. And I think for a long time we did a pretty good job, and I think COVID kind of shut that off for a little bit. But I don't care anymore. It's going back to what it was, and it's going to be stronger. Next year we're going to, so the kids club will have every week their thing. One week Sunday nights during we're going to go out and we're going to go witness during the service time. Say, I'm not going to, well, just pray about it, okay? Pray and Pray and ask God if he'd want you to go out and witness. Shouldn't even have to pray about that one. But we'll leave that one there. We're going to do lots of things focused on getting the lost, the gospel. And I bet you this. I, I No, sorry, pastors shouldn't bet. But, well, Christians shouldn't. But we'll leave that one out. This is what, the, here we go. I think a lot of the inward turmoil we have at times will all disappear when you get your focus on others and getting them the gospel. It'll take care of any little issues we have in here. The problem with the issues we get in here is because we're too focused on ourselves in here. Get your eyes on somebody else and it will solve those problems. Say, Pastor, why didn't you deal with that? Because I just figured that out this last week, okay? Took me a little bit of time. I think that's the answer. And so next year, that's going to be our focus.
talk more about coming up. You say, well, what's I don't have a plan altogether yet. We'll get a plan. You got some ideas? Let me know. Got any comments? Put them on a comment card. Black bin over on the side. Throw it in there. And we'll be in great shape. But let's get a burden for the lost. Let's reach people and share the gospel. And I know there might be